Thank you so much for joining Hill City Church Online. For more information about how we do life together, you can find us at hillcitychurch.ca. We would love to help you discover your next steps in this journey of living and loving like Jesus. Now stay tuned for another encouraging and inspiring message from Hill City Church. Uh, If you do have your Bibles here this morning, we do at Hill City Church, we do believe in the Bible, that it's the inspired word of God to give us hope and promises to cling on, to live our lives in accordance with, to experience all that God died for, all that Jesus died for. If you see in Genesis chapter 14, and I'm going to start in verse 17, it's talking about a guy named Abram, who is soon to become Abraham. But he's first Abram. And in verse 17, it says, Then after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, can you imagine having that name? Chedorlaomer? Oh my goodness. And the kings who were with him and the king of Sodom who went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high, who has delivered who has delivered your enemies, excuse me, he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And it says, Abram, he gave him a tenth of all. Why don't you just join join me in prayer here this morning as we talk about hashtag blessed how we can be hashtag blessed. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you'd speak to us today. God, you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and grace to walk out what you're asking of us today. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Do you guys like tests? I hate tests. Right? I don't, I don't know if you remember what it was like in high school, but like, I especially hate tests that I don't know about. There's usually two reasons why I didn't know about them. One, I forgot, and I was told with plenty, plenty of time in advance. But then there's these other things called pop quizzes. Don't you hate pop quizzes? This is like I'd be sitting there in class all bum-fuzzled, which I didn't know if you know that that's a word, bum-fuzzled. It means like be confused. And I've been reading the B section of the dictionary, folks. Game changer. All right? Life changing. But you're sitting there. You're all confused. You're mad. It's like, I didn't know there was going to be a test. It's like, it's because it's called a pop quiz, Brian. It's supposed to be a surprise. But you didn't tell me. And I'm just sitting there. I'm all frustrated. And uh, it's interesting, though. Like, when it comes to our money and finances and really the, the resources that God entrusts us with, they also come with a test. It's a hard one. It's called the tithe. God's test is called the tithe. And maybe if you're new to the church experience, you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're just testing the waters or whatever. But um, maybe for us who have been in the church for a while, we, we kind of hear that word tithe. And it kind of gets just lumped into this old religious practice that, oh, yeah, we just give money. I don't even know why we do it. I don't even know why, where it goes, what it does. And, but we just do it. And we, apparently we're supposed to. We have to. Apparently that's important. Um, and I think a lot of us, when we hear it the first time, they're like, why do we tithe? Why, why should we give the first 10% of our income to God? Why should we do that? Is God lacking funds? Is he, does, he doesn't have enough going up in heaven. The bills are not getting paid. Things are tight up in heaven. 
This is like, no, that's not the case. When you live in a place where the streets are paved with gold, how many know you're doing all right? <laughs> See, God puts out this test, this test called a tithe, not for him, but for our own hearts. And um, this word tithe actually is a Greek word, mazer. Everybody say mazer. It's a tenth of a portion, specifically the first portion. And as we look in Genesis chapter 14, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of the backstory from what I just read. Abram has a nephew named Lot, okay? And, and they're, they're, li- they're kind of traveling together, and they come to, come to a portion where they're growing so much that they've got to split ways. And they kind of come to this place like, okay, well, we're getting too big to be living together here. Like, there's not enough room for us. We've got to split off. Which way do you want to go? And Lot kind of looks towards this area called Sodom, and he's just like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go live over there. That looks good. And he's like, all right, man, that's all yours. You head that way. Abram's going this way. Well, what ends up happening is just this war breaks out in the valley of Sodom. Okay, and these five kings, I'm not, I don't know, if, yeah, I'll get into this. So we have five, the five kings, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of, go, of Goyim, Amphoral, king of Sinar, and Ariok, king of El- Eleazar. They start this war. Yeah, if, I, just, I just do that for my own benefit. I'm just working on my syllable pronunciation. Okay, they start this war with the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeobam, and Bela, a.k.a. Zor, also known as Zor. They start this fight, and they invade, they invade the area that Lot's living in. Well, these kings get defeated. So essentially, the king is like a mayor of the city, okay? The king of Sodom is like the mayor. Well, they get defeated, and Lot gets kidnapped. Abram hears about his nephew being kidnapped, and he's like, saddle up, we're going. It's on now. And he goes after, and he defeats these kings. How many of you know that's a miracle? You take on several king armies, and like several city armies, and you're just like Abram, who's like a shepherd, you know, a farmer-type dude. That's a miracle, folks. So that brings us to this point that after Abram has his victory, he gets his nephew back. He goes out into the valley, which is called the King's Valley. Isn't that significant? And he meets this character named Melchizedek. I'd like to call him, for the sake of the story time here, Momentary Mel. Because we see him only for a moment. This guy Melchizedek only shows up for a moment. We see about him here in Genesis chapter 14, and we also read about him in Hebrews chapter 7, and I'm going to get there in a minute. But it says that Abram goes out to meet Melchizedek, and it says that he's priest of Most High God. And and Melchizedek brings what? He brings wine and bread. Hmm. Let's just put our thinking caps on for a minute. What would that symbolize? Could that be like communion? Could that be like covenant? And this is the first time that the Bible uses the word tithe. That Abram brought out a tithe of all his spoils, of all of the the victory to Melchizedek. And I want you just to think about this dude, momentary Mel, for a moment. Check out what it says about it in Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham appointed a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. 
without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he was made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Neither father nor mother, no beginning of life nor end of days, but he seemed to be like the Son of God. A lot of theologians believe that this was actually Jesus in the flesh, meeting with Abraham. You know, it's interesting. Abraham, he's facing some of the same things that we face here. He's getting this breakthrough. You know what I mean? Oh, man, we're doing good. You know, God's locked back. And look at all this increase. Man, we're doing so good. But he honors the test. And he's just like, I know who gave me the victory. And he's just like, God, this was always yours to begin with. And he gives him the tithe. He gives him that 10%. And I think it's really interesting that he faces the same voice that you and I face when we try to put God first in our finances. We face, he actually faces the same voice that you and I face when we're in hard situations where we think we're not going to have enough. Actually, this one king, the king of Sodom in, in verse 21, starts to come to him. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Like, like I, I saw what you did there, Abraham, and that's kind of crazy. We don't normally do that. That's a weird practice. Why would you give your money to some momentary Mel character. That's kind of weird. Let, let me help you out. You know, I can help you out. I don't, I don't want you to lack anything. You can have all the spoils. I'm just going to take the people that we've, that we've kind of liberated out of these kingdoms. You know what Abraham says to him? He says to him, Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal or anything that is yours for fear you would say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Anner, Eshcol, Mamre, let them take their share. So this voice comes in, Abraham's honoring God, trying to put God first in his money, trying to put God first in his increase and all his spoils. And here comes the voice. You're not going to have enough, Abram. That's weird. That's crazy that you did that. I can't believe you're not, you, I can't, like, what's with you? That's not financial responsibility. That's craziness. You gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep your bread, folks. And Abram's like, no, man. I serve a God much bigger than this system. I serve a God much bigger than you. I don't want you taking credit for what God's doing in my life. But see, there's always gonna be this war over the tithe. There's always going to be this thing. And, and I want to say something really clearly. Jesus didn't shy away from it. He says, you cannot serve God and money. And more specifically, he actually uses the word mammon. He says, you cannot serve God, Yahweh, and mammon. Mammon was the name of a false god who promised prosperity if you would worship him through sacrifice. And he's saying because, and he, Jesus also makes a statement, you can't serve two masters because you either cling to one and despise the other, or you either love one and hate the other. So either you serve God and you obey him, or you serve money and you obey it. Do you want to know how you know if mammon's speaking in your life? God says, hey, I want you to do this. 
You're like, okay. Then you hear that voice. You're not gonna have enough. You obey God. You put God first. You're, gonna, you're not gonna have enough. No, no, no. You gotta, you gotta hold on to that. You know, you gotta hold on to it. Remember, the market's tight. The economy is all over the place. You remember, you gotta hold on to it. And God actually invites us through this experience of worship. Tithing is worship to enter into his kingdom, to enter into his economy. You know, a lot of times I've, you know, you might be thinking, well, Brian, I would, I'd love to do that. I just, don't, I just don't have enough to tithe. And I would say this, and, and I love you. Remember Derek said I'm doing such a good job? Remember when, <laughs> remember when he said that? But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from personal experience, okay? I love you. Remember, Brian? This is Pastor Brian who loves you. You will never have enough until you start to tithe. Bonnie and I have been married for, what, 12 years? We've tithed consistently. And we've gone through some crazy things. I remember the first year we got married, find out that Bonnie's pregnant with twins. Several months later, I find out I'm laid off. 2008 was a great year. <laughs> the markets go all over the place. My job's like I'm, I'm trying to find work and... But I gotta tell you, folks, we honored God and put God first in our money. Say, God, I'm not, I'm not gonna worship this system. I'm gonna believe that you're enough. And God found some crazy ways to get us money. I remember getting up, it was like, I, had, I found a job eventually and I was getting up, it was like 4.30 in the morning and I had to be up and three hours worth of commuting to be working in North Van. It was just, anybody who's ever been there? It's just like crazy, it's not fun. I remember waking up and in my work boots that were outside was an envelope with a couple hundred dollars. And we can, like, honestly, I'm not making this stuff up. Our food went longer. And I, I'm a hungry man, you know what I mean? <laughs> and our boys love to eat. It's just like cheese would last longer. It's just like clothes wouldn't wear out. It's like almost kind of sounds like the children of Israel in the desert. I gotta be honest. Because you, there's something so amazing that when you honor God with that first 10%, you want to know what he does? He blesses the 90. He blesses everything that's left over. Can I show you something really amazing? Do you want proof of it? In 2 Chronicles 31, um, and in verse 3, just to give you a little bit of the backstory here, King Hezekiah, he's a king of Judah. And, uh, and really, he's one of the kings that led this huge reformation in Judah. He, he led this huge turning back to worshiping God, not, wor not worshiping multiple gods. We're going to be Yahweh people, and we're going to worship God and God alone. He's, he's one of the kings that led uh, a huge reformation in, in Judah. And it says in verse 3 that he also appointed the king's portion for his good, for, bur for burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and all the fixed festivals as it was written in the law of the Lord. So there's this restoration. We're going to come back to what God's word says. We're going to come back to what the law has said, okay? And he also commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give a portion due to the priests and the, Levi and the Levites who were like the worship people, um, kind of the priests who would work in the temple, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as... 
As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first fruits. Remember the first fruits, the first portion of grain, new wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. And they brought in abundant they brought in abundantly the tithe of all. The sons of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep, the tithe of sacred gifts which were consecrated to the Lord their God and placed them in heaps. Everybody say heaps. heaps. In the third month, they began to make the heaps and finish them by the seventh month. Isn't that crazy? When Hezekiah and the rulers came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and, and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over, for the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is what is left over. Wow. Isn't it crazy? Hezekiah, he sends out this command. Okay, we're going to worship God. He's going to get the first portion of all of our increase. We're not going to worship all these other false gods. We're not going to worship the Canaanite gods. We're not going to worship the gods of this world. We're going to worship Yahweh. Brings back this right relationship and right practice of worship that God gets first place. And it says the moment that the people obeyed, God caused a blessing so much that they were living in heaps. And Hezekiah comes back and he's just like, whoa, okay, all right, what did I do? Okay, if this is everything that they've given, are they, are they okay? Like, this is, this is nuts. And then, then the priest is like, dude, you don't know. It's like the moment they started doing it. It's just like, you think these heaps are crazy? You should check out their house. You should check out their fields. You should check out their barns. So like, man, I don't have enough to give, but you do have enough to obey. And when you obey, God steps in and blesses the 90. He does what you could not do with 100%. Can I be honest? Okay, we're going to get really real. And I know we've said that we've, we've tithed consistently, but there was times when it was a little bit like, maybe we should just, we'll get them next week. God, I'm your guy next week. I'll get you on the other side. Just got to wait for some stuff. And you want to know what would happen? It's just like before you know it, gone. No abundance. Man, we got to buy groceries again. Man, I gas, we got to fill up the car again. Like, guys, I've, you think, you think this is crazy, but I've had times where the gas has multiplied in my vehicle, and it needed to multiply. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not, it wasn't a broken gas meter. It wasn't a broken gas float in there. God multiplied the gas in our car. Because when, he, when you put him first, when he has first place, you want to know what he does with your needs? To the front of the line. He's like, man, I love it when you put me first. I love it that you're just trying to honor me. I love it that you're trying to trying to worship me with all your life, not just your song on Sunday morning. I love that I have every part of your life. And man, when you, I want to just give you all of me. That's what he does. This, I remember when this verse just jumped off the pages to me in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and 18, verse 18. It says, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. 
Do you see, God wants to give you power to make wealth. He wants to give you grace to make wealth. But why is that? Is he just wanting to give us grace to make wealth and this power so we can have bigger heaps to sit on? We can stuff our pillows with $100 bills and sleep at ease? No, he's saying, I'm wanting to give you the power to make wealth so that I might establish my covenant, which I've swore to your fathers. What was the covenant that he swore to your fathers? It was the covenant that he swore to Abraham when he says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. So we, as being heirs to the promise through faith, we are heirs to the promise that God gave Abraham. We are the stars. People are the stars. What if we started thinking, God, I want to I wanna put you first in my life, not just to take care of my needs, but I want to... I want to do something that's going to make a difference in this world. Man, think about it, church. What if we could, we could end poverty in mission? What if we could, could, could give in such a way or create something so creative that would make an impact that drug addiction is a thing of the, the past? It's a distant memory in mission. Because we don't just exist to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. Our money is like seed that can go out and make a difference in people's lives. But if we don't put God first in that area, we'll end up lacking and end up with an inability to make a difference. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, and from the first, everybody say the first, of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Malachi chapter 3, and verse 10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this. Isn't that interesting? God has a test for us, but then he invites us to do the same. I dare you to test me. I dare you. This is the only place in Scripture where you will see God say, test me. Everywhere else is going to get you in trouble. (laughs) But in this one place of your finances, this one place of your giving, this one place of your stewardship, he's saying, I dare you to test me. And what does he say? He says, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. We serve a God of overflow. We serve a God that wants to pour in so that it can pour over. So it can get on people around you. That single mom, your neighbor who's going through a hard time, lost his job. You can show up with groceries. You can show up with a gift card. You can show up with whatever. He's wanting to pour in so that he can pour out. But as long as we're holding on, as long as we're holding on, it stops with you. I'll never forget a man named uh, Tommy Barnett. He's a pastor down in, in Arizona. He was a pastor of one of the largest churches in America, like over 10,000. It was like one of the first churches to meet 10,000 people uh, in the 80s. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, he held his hands out like this. He said, Millions and millions of dollars have gone through these hands. And the one way that I can know that millions and millions of dollars will continue to go through these hands is because they have not stopped here. 
God pours in to pour through. And I want to encourage you today. You might be in a crazy place financially. And this is not to shame anybody. This is not to say like, oh, well, aren't you, if you could just live like I live, you'd feel better. I feel like I have to do a southern accent with that. You know what I mean? Well, if you would just tithe. You know what I mean? Like, it's not what I'm saying. We've all been challenged in this. I've been challenged in this. Bonnie, every one of our leaders has been challenged in this area. But we've also can speak to the radical generosity and supernatural power of God when he blesses our obedience. But it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30, it says, and now, I'm just going to read actually this verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for God, for, excuse me, let's just try again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Very important, doctrinally, that doesn't say all things work together for good. What that does say is God causes to work all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Who do you really love? That's the test, isn't it? What do you really love? Do you love your, you love your comfort or do you love God? Do you love the false sense of security that you have in your bank account? Do you love the false sense of security with the amount of money in your wallet or the image that it gives you, the, the false sense of pride that you have or value that you have, or do you love God? Can I be honest with you? This is not about me making sure my salary is okay. If I can be honest with you, my salary is taken care of. It's budgeted for this year. We'll talk next year, okay? I'm just joking. This is not what it's about. This, this is, I want this for you. Every one of our leaders wants this for you. Wants you to experience God's blessing when you put him first. Wants, well, I want you to experience what it's like to see somebody else's face light up when you're able to go like, no, I got that. I want you to, to know what it's like to live in freedom not being bound to debt. I want you to be able to free, freely go where God's calling you, not thinking, oh man, student loans. Huh. I would, but if. Yeah. I want you to be able to run freely into your destiny, freely into what God has for you. So to love him means we have to trust him. It also means we have to honor him, which at the end of the day means we have to obey despite what we feel. See, because God is a covenant God. What does that mean? God doesn't just do things no matter what we do. There's some things that he does that he won't ask you about. But there's some things in our life that we will not experience because we do not obey. That we do not set apart to him. God wants you to go to a place of enough to more than enough. But it requires us to obey. It requires us to put him first. You might be asking, Brian, where's Jesus in all this? 
you've read a bunch of Old Testament scriptures, and I don't know if you know this, Brian, but we're new covenant people. Where is Jesus in all this? Just as we're closing here, like I said, doesn't really ever mean anything. In Colossians chapter one and verse 13, it says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in, and in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through whom I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn from the dead. So that he might have first place in everything. See, God doesn't just ask us to do something that he himself has not done. Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus was God's one and only begotten son. And God gave him sacrificially. And in Romans 8.29 says that he is the firstborn of many brethren. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is our Lord, he is our King, he is our Savior, but guess what? He's also our brother because God gave Jesus as a tithe and we are the 90. We are that leftover 90 who get to come into the family of God. So what is this about? This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus having first place. This is about you saying, Jesus, I want to give you all of my life. I don't want to live in compartments. Because this is a gospel issue. Because there's other people on the other side of your giving. There's other people on the other side of your obedience. And God is saying, don't let it stop with you. Don't let it get locked up with you. Don't be hanging on to it. You trust me with it. And I can work a miracle in your life. So what now, Brian? What do you want me to do? What's my next step? Well, Mary, before Jesus' ministry had started, was, was with Jesus at a wedding, and they ran out of wine. For some people, that's a really big problem. And so Mary comes to Jesus, and it's like, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, we're out of wine, and I still got some party in me. It's not exactly what she said. That's the Brian paraphrase version. But anyways, Jesus is like, listen, uh, Mom, not quite my time. Uh, I don't know, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Don't do this in front of the guys, you know? And then Mary goes to the servants and says, whatever he, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So what's next? Whatever he's telling you to do right now, do it. If it means you gotta change some priorities, I gotta cancel that subscription. I gotta cancel Netflix, oh God forbid. I gotta cancel this. Maybe we're not gonna buy this anymore. We're putting God first in our money. 
We're putting God first in our finances. And I just want to introduce you to a beautiful word in the Bible, and it's this word repent. It's the word repent. What it means is this. You're walking this way, and the truth of God comes and looks you square in the face and looks deep into your soul, and you go, that's a silly way to keep walking. What was I doing? God, I'm walking your way. See, this is the mercy and the goodness of God. Is he, doesn't, he doesn't condemn. He doesn't guilt motivate people. He's not manipulative. He says, all you have to say is just, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I've, I haven't been living with priorities. I haven't been putting you first here. But I, I see now where I need to change. And you want to know what he does when you repent? When you humble yourself like that, he gives something called grace, which is a desire and ability to obey. You put him first, he opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing you know what, honestly, guys, I'm gonna challenge you with this. There's gonna be a supernatural peace that some of you are gonna experience when you just put, when you start putting God first in your finances. I wanna be honest with you. It may not change your bank account right away, but it'll change you. There's gonna be a supernatural peace that's gonna start washing over you. You're gonna be like, man, I think we're gonna be all right. It's gonna be something that you didn't have before. That's a prophetic word for somebody. Why don't you just stand to your feet here with me this morning? You know, there's a lot of things. We're going to go some places in this series, and I believe, man, we're going to have testimonies at the end of God's miraculous provision. I really do believe it. But I think we've got to let God go to some places in our heart first because this is what it's all about. It's a heart issue. Because you can do this with a bad attitude and the wrong motivation, and God's not pleased with it. At the end of the day, he's after your heart. When, you do, when you're motivated by love, when you're motivated by thankfulness and not obligation, like, God, you're twisting my arm. He goes, I love that. That's what he's after. So why don't you just bow your head with me? You know, there's, the psalmist wrote this. He said, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me or any ill-aligned way or any way that's just not right. guide me in the way everlasting. When we're able to open up our heart and say, God, this is what's really going on. Search me. Tell me, like, tell me what's really going on in my heart because sometimes I just don't even really know. He's so faithful to say, son, daughter, go this way. Do this. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear how you have been impacted by this message. You can contact us at info at hillcity.ca or simply find us on Facebook and Instagram.